0: I just read about a guy who made $386 million selling ugly carrots and bruised bananas. And it all started with some rotten apples. I'm talking about Abby Ramish, the guy behind Misfit Market. He sells fruits and veggies that aren't pretty enough for prime time, but they sure are tasty. This business is so good, it's got me salivating. That's coming up in just a second. Before we get to it, if you are a fan of the show, I ask you just one thing. Go ahead and leave a rating or review and subscribe. It helps us climb up the charts, and it lets me know that we're doing something right. Let's get to the show. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. So I'm going to tell you today about Misfit Market. I found this company probably about a year ago, and then I've been reading articles about it, sort of seeing it, and I started to dig in, and I think it's fantastic. It's not the first company that has done something with this concept, but I love the story, and I love how they've moved forward with it. And I'll tell you also, there's some things I don't like about what they're doing, or I think I would do it a little differently, and I'm going to get to that in a minute too. Let me tell you the story first. So we're going to rewind right now to 2018. Abby's in an orchard, he's picking apples, and he looks down and notices something strange on the ground. There are hundreds and hundreds of apples just lying on the ground all over. If you guys ever been apple picking, you know what I'm talking about. They're all over the place. So he asks the farmer, what happens to all this fallen fruit? And the farmer says that some becomes juice and cider, some of it gets donated, but most of it heads straight to the dumpster because retailers don't want to stock their shelves with mangled produce, right? If you think about it, if an apple is a little misshapen, if it's too big, if it's too small, they don't want to put it on the shelf. And it's the same thing with every fruit, a carrot or a bunch of carrots that are intertwined and intermingled and they look deformed, a green pepper, a red pepper, a potato that's misshapen. They don't want this produce on the shelves because generally Western consumers will judge the taste of something by how it looks on the outside. That's why retailers and brands put so much effort into the packaging because how it looks is how you think it'll taste. So Abby gets an idea here and he asks if he can buy... This produce that's on the ground from the farmer. And the farmer says, absolutely, he charges him 20 bucks. And Abby gets to take a whole bunch of this fruit home, these apples, which would otherwise go to the garbage. And normally the farmer does not even sell them. And Abby thinks to himself, he's on to something. So he goes home and he starts to think about this. There's got to be a whole bunch of people, a big market of eco conscious, eco friendly people who would actually prefer to eat this kind of misshapen fruit because it's fruit that would otherwise goes to wastes. He's finding a new life for it, a new home for it, a new way to make use out of the billions and billions of food that is pounds of food that is wasted every single year. The only question is, can he get enough of it? Can he get his hands on enough supply? It's one thing that a farmer randomly says, sure, you can have some, but if he's gonna start a business where he's selling this stuff, he's gotta make sure the supply side is there. So he starts dialing farmers all around Philadelphia. And it turns out there's tons of supply. It's abundant. Lemons, squash, plums, peaches, potatoes. There's tons of it and it will not make it to the grocery shelves because this is misshaped fruit. And it's a headache for the farmers because it costs them money to make it into another product, to donate it, and to get rid of it. That all costs money. They'd rather have another way to get rid of it, and even better if they can make a bit of money while they're getting rid of it. So Abby tries to buy everything he can, and he starts off really, really scrappy. So here's the concept. He's going to buy this misshapen fruit and he's going to put it into these mystery boxes. He's going to sign people up. This is the customer side now. Once he actually gets the produce, he's going to sign people up to get their monthly mystery box. And he basically has to make it a mystery box cuz he don't know he doesn't know what his supply is going to look like from week to week and month to month. He doesn't know if he's going to get more apples, more cucumbers, a little fewer tomatoes, more carrots. So he makes these mystery boxes. And this goes really well. He throws up a Shopify store, starts running Facebook ads, promotes these mystery boxes full of perfectly imperfect produce, and people bite. People bite. They're interested. They want to know. They want to see. They have the element of surprise. But more importantly, they buy into this brand image that he is Finding another life for this fruit. And over the course of a few years, he builds this business up to 90,000 customers. Starts off, I think it was like a 600 square foot warehouse. He started off in his his apartment. Then he moves into a 600 square foot facility, not really a warehouse, but a little facility. And he's expanding and expanding 90,000 customers. And then shit hits the fan. It's March 2020, and COVID is running hot. You guys remember that. Abby gets ready to shut down his warehouse because he knows that he has people in close quarters. This virus is very transmissible. He's hearing all sorts of things on the news. He's getting ready to shut things down. His thriving business is about to come to a crashing halt. Then he catches a lifeboat because... Food is an essential service, and essential services get to stay open, which means his doors can stay open. And then this little lifeboat turns into a battleship because in the coming weeks, growth explodes. In fact, his engineers are telling him these servers are going off the racks. We can't keep our site online. People want their fruit. They want it now, and a few bad apples aren't going to spoil the bunch. Customers are going crazy. For the misfit market, they want it. They want it now. Revenue over the next 24 months, so until the end of 2022, hits $386 million. Whoa, whoa, that's massive growth. All right, let's talk about why this worked, and then we'll talk about some of the pitfalls and some of the things I would have done differently. And we'll expand the conversation so you can understand that there's always some bad with the good. Now, one thing I want to talk about off the bat, just mention this. I use the number $386 million, which is the revenue number. I have no idea what the profit is. And if I had to bet, I would say these guys are almost certainly losing money because they're venture-backed. They've raised a lot of capital. I think SoftBank invested in them, a bunch of high-profile VCs. So profitability is not something these guys are worried about. Maybe now, you know, we're in early 2023 now, it's a whole different funding environment. So now it might be a different story. But during the years when they were growing to $386 million, no one gave a crap about profitability profitability. So all these people on social media that are challenging me about profitability, I have no idea and I don't care because that's not how this kind of business is measured. And by the way, for my business, as I always talk about, my businesses are always profitable. I like big, fat, juicy margins, but that's a whole different type of business because I'm not playing the VC game like Abby is. And I'll get to that more in just a second. Let's talk about why this works. Well, first of all, Abby does a bunch of stuff right. Here are my favorite pieces. First off, he's selling a waste product. I love this. Grocery chains are the primary buyers, and they don't want this produce. So the farmers are just throwing it away. Abby sees this market inefficiency, and he exploits it. When you have an efficiency, an inefficiency between supply and demand, the supply side being the farmers, the demand side being the grocery stores, and there's inefficiency, boom, you can jump in there and you can create a market. And we've seen this so many times, so many businesses, I call this the trash to cash business model, take trash, turn it into cash. And it works not only with literal trash. I mean, this produce will literally go in the garbage, but there's more than that. Think about the Uber business model. Uber exploits underutilized assets, underutilized inventory. So what's not being utilized? A car sitting in my driveway. And I have free time on my hands. And Uber exploited that inefficiency and said, hey, you guys can basically be transportation. Airbnb did the same thing. They said, you got a spare bedroom in your home or you got a vacation home, that can be real estate that is rented out on a short-term basis. So those are examples of trash to cash as well. And there's tons of examples out there, but I love finding a waste product and figuring out what to do with it. I'm gonna give you one more. If you remember the episode I did with Sheena Chandaria, Conros Corporation, go back and check that out. The way the company, Conros, started out making fire logs is they had the ingredients, which are wax and oil, I think, or something like that. It's wax and something else. And they realized that that's a waste product. That's something that manufacturers get rid of during the manufacturing process. And that's the ingredients that goes into fire logs, wax. And so they realized, okay, well, we can take something for free, garbage, and turn it into a product that generates revenue for us. So trash to cash is a wonderful business model. And if you can figure that out by exploiting inefficiencies in supply-demand scenarios, that's how you can win. I know it's a complicated way to say it, but let me just translate that. Inefficiencies in a supply-demand, so in a market, there's a buyer of something, there's a seller of that thing, but in the process, there are things being created which basically go to the garbage, and that can be your product, or that can be the basis, the ingredients for your product. That's number one. Second thing Abby does that I love, he turns a weakness into a strength with smart branding. Misfit Market is not selling deformed fruit. They're reducing waste by repurposing food. You see what I did there? That's some hot marketing jujitsu, and it resonates big time. Don Draper would be proud. Quick break here while I tell you about something really exciting I've been working on called the Business Essentials Kit. Here's the deal. I get asked all the time, John, how do you run your business effectively? What's the best way to build a website? How do I get a branded email? How do I save on legal fees? How do I manage my social media? So what I've done is I put a kit together for you for free. You can download it at johndavids.com with all the tools and services that I use to run my business. Get it right now for free at johndavids.com. Think about the first episode of Mad Men. I, I, I watched a bit of Mad Men. I didn't see the whole series. But if you guys saw Mad Men, the series premiere of Mad Men is an episode where Don Draper, an ad agency executive, is challenged with figuring out how to position a cigarette brand when the government says, you know, cigarettes kill you. Cigarettes are poison, and he says for his client, which is a cigarette brand, he says, your cigarettes are toasted. They're toasted, and the client says, well, everyone's cigarettes are toasted. That's how you make cigarettes. He goes, no, 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 everyone's cigarettes are poison. Your cigarettes are toasted. Right? That marketing jujitsu back from the 1960s is what Misfit Market is using today. Everyone's got deformed fruit, but no, 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 not everyone. Misfit Market is reducing waste by repurposing food, finding a new life for it. It's not deformed, it's repurposed. That kind of marketing jujitsu, just repositioning the brand goes miles. You create a billion dollar company out of a repositioning of a Problem that exists in the market, right? If Walmart said, hey, all of our fruit is now misshapen and that's what we're gonna sell, people wouldn't like that. Now, to be fair, Walmart could, and maybe they already have, created a misfit market competitor under a different brand with a different brand ethos, targeting a different kind of buyer, a more environmentally conscious, friendly buyer. And you could build that, but this is Misfit Market's entire business. They are targeting that buyer, making you feel good on an emotional level that you are giving fruit another life. And that's something that the incumbents can't do because they live in a world where the fruit has to look a certain way. And that takes me to my third point, which is sidestepping the incumbents, something that Misfit Market does beautifully. The dumbest thing emerging companies and startups can do is try to compete with giants at their game. You must invent your own game. That's how you crush the incumbents, by playing your own game. You need to turn your strength into their weakness, their weakness into your strength. You need to build your business in such a way that the very essence of you existing is a problem for them because they cannot compete with you by the mere fact of your existence. You take something that's a problem of theirs and make it the strength of yours, and now if they try to fight back, they're literally pummeling themselves because the thing that used to be their benefit, their pro, is now their con. And these guys are mammoths for them to shift would take a complete 180 of their entire value chain, of their entire supply chain, of their entire retail merchandising system, of their labor system. The entire business is built on one thing, and you're basically coming in and saying, hey, that thing that you do, that thing that you have, that's bullshit. It should be like this. I'm going to go back to my Airbnb example. Airbnb, in addition to exploiting this great market inefficiency and turning your spare bedroom into their product, into their hotel room, they really capitalized on this idea that a generation of consumers didn't want to have a cookie-cutter travel experience. They wanted to live a local experience. They wanted to make every month, every week, every day of every year a different life. I want to wake up in Miami today, and then tomorrow I'm going to fly over to Ohio. I'm going to live in Ohio. Then I'm going to go to France, and I'm going to live in this beautiful little town in Paris. And Airbnb exploited that. And then you look at a chain like the Marriott or the Hilton or the Sheraton or the Westin hotel group. They can't compete with that because they've got hundreds of thousands, millions of hotel rooms all over the world. That are look and feel and have a certain brand image. They can't change that overnight. Airbnb comes along and says, hey, what you do, that's uncool. What we do is cool. How do you compete with that if you're one of the big guys? You can see what they're doing. They're adding, you know, the big hotel groups and the expedias of the world and the price lines. They're adding Airbnb type services to what they offer because they realize this thing that we offer is a weakness for a big part of the market. Airbnb at this point, I believe has a bigger market cap than any of the hotel companies. So that's an example of sidestepping the incumbents turning their strength into their weakness because you are turning your strength into their weakness. I think that made sense. (laughs) Okay, guys, let me talk about the downside right now. So I've talked to you about all the great things that Misfit Market is doing, but, and this is a big but, I would have done one thing very differently. And that is, I would not have raised venture capital. Ugh, venture capital, boo. I can't stand it. And I understand everybody looks at this and says, yeah, but John, how would they have done this? How would they have done $386 million in revenue if they hadn't raised venture capital? And my answer to that is, I don't care about $386 million in revenue if you've got zero profit. That's honestly what I think. Now, it's a great story. Listen, I don't want to take anything away from this. They are helping a lot of people. They are saving a lot of fruit. And this is going to be a huge success or maybe a huge failure. I don't know. It's too early to say. It's a, it's a venture-backed startup. And it's in high growth mode. And maybe they'll be acquired. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. And it's an, it's an impressive story. But as a business... I don't like raising money for this kind of business for a few reasons. So A, people pointed out in the comments on LinkedIn very wisely that over time, they have moved away from the misfit market ethos originally. So a lot of the fruit you get when you use it today in 2023 looks normal. And that's because at a certain point, the supply of misfit fruit runs out, Right? They and their other companies, the peers who are doing the same thing, they're picking up all this fruit. And at a certain point, they've got to sell fruit that looks normal. The other thing they have to do is they have to expand beyond just fruits and vegetables. So these guys are selling at this point cereal, they're selling bread, they're selling butter, they're selling milk. And that's normal looking stuff, it's not misshapen stuff. Now, they are sticking to their ethos because what they're saying, for example, is we're going to take excess inventory. So if Kellogg's makes a whole bunch more boxes of Frosted Flakes, we will take that inventory that would otherwise go to the garbage or expire and then be trash, and we'll sell that. So they take excess inventory, they take nearly expired food that would otherwise go to the trash, they sell that food. I guess they sell food that's maybe made in an eco-friendly way, the Whole Foods type vibe. So they are sticking to that ethos in general, but they have to expand if they want to keep growing. And why do they have to keep growing so quickly, John? Well, I will tell you, because they raise venture capital. Ugh, hate that. They raise venture capital, and the VCs say, listen, you need to grow, 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 grow. This can't be a $70 million a year business and profitable. This can't be a $92 million a year business making 70% gross and $22 net. Can't do that. This has to be a billion-dollar-plus company or nothing, billion-dollar or bust. That's what you get into when you raise venture capital. So that's what these guys have done. Again, don't blame them. Totally get it, but I wouldn't have done it. You could run a business like this. Look, look at Chick Fil A. I'm not going to get into the whole Chick Fil A story. Maybe I'll do another episode on Chick Fil A. Did a lot of really interesting things completely against the grain. They closed for a day a week, and they, you know, they didn't expand their menu when everyone else did, and they took forever to grow and scale while all these other chains were growing and scaling much faster than they were. And they did it on their own terms. You could build a business like Misfit Market, and I encourage you to do it if you are interested in something like that. You could build a business like Misfit Market where you don't raise venture capital. You do it on a local level. You start regionally. You don't need to get to a national scale in two years, right? You can get to a national scale in 10 years. You can start off in one city, right? You start off just in... A little borough of Denver. You start off just in a little, a little city in Ohio and you work with local farmers and you serve local communities and you go outward from there and you build it as a profitable for-profit business that makes a lot of money is selling at a premium because you're selling, you know, you're dealing with the Whole Foods crowd. So they've got they got the paycheck to support it. And that's how I would build it. If you do it in a way where you're backed by venture capital, yeah, you're stuck having to grow and at a certain point, you've got to do it. Again, totally get it. Love what Abby and his team are doing, but raising venture capital puts you in a different boat. And if you know me, you know I like building profitable businesses really big. I like owning my businesses. I'm not serving venture capitalists. No, no, no. They're serving me because I'm an LP in their funds. They work for me. I don't work for them. And that's what i would do differently now my take is i love business models that turn trash into cash seriously it's an unhealthy obsession of mine and i'm okay with that misfit market is giving me the good stuff grocers don't want it farmers can't sell it so abby comes along and packages everything just right to him those bruised bananas are worth billions I want to know what you guys think. Get me at johndavids.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you guys next time.